It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. There it is. There it is. And we begin with a happy birthday to the United States of America, who is now 247 years young today. Freedom! It is the 4th of July, 4th Across America. Spectacular. Not Fox. Fourth, today is the day we declared our independence and we will celebrate our founding fathers. Yes, fathers, not birthing persons, not people who menstruate, but the founding fathers who gave us our freedoms and the unique American privilege we all enjoy today is for you. And we will be celebrating it with some of the proudest patriots I know. I'm talking about Pistol Pete Hegseth, uh, the great Ainsley Earhart course, a Fox and Friends superstar in her own right. Mark Holton, who played Francis in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, stole Pee-wee's bike, but said it was somebody else. You can't just make up lies about people. No, it turns out it was Francis Buxton all along. And uh, he will be here to give us the inside dirt on the greatest bicycle theft in the history of the world. We'll also hear from Rob Schneider, who is, of course, a movie star and a comedy star and a former SNL cast member who weighs in on the war on comedy. It's going to be a banger, and it's going to be very much an all-American show in that everyone you hear from today is in on the joke. If you live in this country, you have hit the lottery by virtue of the fact that you're here. He knows what he's talking about. So today we raise several glasses, not just one. Uh, to the greatest country and the greatest source of good the world has ever known. Happy birthday, America. Joining us now to blow out the candles, Pistol Pete Hegseth. What's up, Jimmy? So you want me to turn this around? <laughs> uh, let me see what I can do. That's the, that's the ass. Nothing big. Just, you know, just turn around a 246-year-old country. Um, let me jump in on this, Hegseth, because is it true that in, you know, we're talking about the life of Jesus part two. Uh, it's called God Save Us. It's on Fox Nation. Is it true that Jesus was actually apprehended because of a Chinese spy balloon? <laughs> uh, he was that you would say it was a political persecution and yes, a targeting he, yes he uh, would. And when you when you watch the film you realize uh it was a the whole thing was a middle of the night mistrial of justice nothing was done above board in broad daylight until they brought him out pilot brought him out in the courtyard and they wanted to give him Bar- barabbas to the crowd and the crowd mm-hmm. chanted no give us Jesus, but they already had a seated crowd of Sadducees and Pharisees and others who wanted him dead, and they brought their people there. And the whole thing was hidden from public sight uh, because they knew what they were doing was a miscarriage of justice. So slightly higher um, – <laughs> you might say slightly higher uh, – 
implications for, but, for, for mankind when yeah. with Jesus, but no, it's similar. I'm with you all the way. I'm just glad you called it out because if we don't stop this now, pretty soon you'll have an attorney general and a district attorney that run for office by vowing to get an ex-president and then ultimately ring the guy up on some kind of a bogus finance charge. Uh, can you believe we're sitting here over what looks like a parking ticket? Yeah, I mean, I can. I can because it's the logical end state of a political opponents who will use power at any turn to advance their political needs like that's that's what we've become that's what i mean i was reminded today of the washington post headline on january 20th of 2017 which was the impeachment of donald trump begins today that was donald trump's inauguration day so there was nary a moment, not even 10 minutes after he was sworn in, mm -hmm. that he was ever seen as legitimate mm -hmm. or someone who was allowed to be president. And so they used the existing institutions they could, inside and outside, government and media, to try to get him. And they never stopped. And, and ultimately, uh, it landed to Elvin Bragg in Manhattan over $130,000 uh, in, in a case that no one would ever bring and everyone else refused. It feels like watching Donald Trump, you know, ride in that motorcade from mm -hmm. Mar-a-Lago to the airport, mm -hmm. it felt like watching like a funeral for the Republic. It you did. know, it's like it a procession. Bad. It was it's bad. It was bad. I wish he would have taken, pulled an OJ and did a white Bronco just to make it fun. Because, you know. Keep going at the exit. <laughs> I'm not pulling over. That would have been amazing. The most Trump thing ever. Well, on the plus side, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Trump was probably going to make a billion dollars selling T-shirts of his mugshot by the end of the day tomorrow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It'll be the most famous mugshot in American history. Uh, he's become he's become an avatar. He's, mm -hmm. he's become a symbol. And yep. that's why people who weren't inclined to support him are giving him money and going on TV and putting on MAGA hats. Yep. It's because I, you can you can make – I mean, when he says this has become cliche, but it's true. When they says they're coming, they're coming after you. They just have to come through me. Mm -hmm. Like it really is the case where it's not anyone who professes to believe in America first or to mm -hmm. challenge the establishment will be a perpetual target. Oh yeah, even without Trump there. But mm -hmm. he's this sort of last vanguard of someone willing to able to fight on our behalf. Even watching other presidential candidates mm -hmm. on TV. Well, I wish we could focus on other issues yep. down here at the border and <laughs> yeah. everything. It's like we talking about the border without Trump, who made border an issue yep. in 24. And now you're like, oh, no, he's paying attention to the border while the pre ex-president's being hauled to Manhattan. Yep. I mean, it's every, every single other, that tells you they don't get it yet, but the people do get it. I, I, I definitely think they do. We're talking to Pete Hegseth, uh, the new series on Fox Nation. He is the host of The Life of Jesus Part 2, God Saves Us. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more. One other thing I wanted to build on really quick is... It's not only a message to Trump supporters, you know, the whole they're coming, you know, they're coming at me because I'm in the way of them getting to you. But I don't you feel on some level that they're also using this prosecution to send a message to other potential outsiders who might have aspirations of running for president without going through the traditional swamp channels? Uh, absolutely. Why? We, because. You know, first of all, they've turned over everything they could on Donald Trump, and this is what they found. Yeah. And they're and they're, they're you know, tax releases being, you know, your tax returns are supposed to be private until you're Donald Trump, and then they're released. Of course, this is. I mean, he was an extraordinary case of someone 
totally untethered to all the power centers of traditional politics. Mm-hmm. So the think tanks, the donors, the, he didn't need any of them. Yep. And so he, he, had, he was able to ignore all of them. I still think 90% of the candidates that we're going to get are going to come out of that establishment, you know, political meat grinder where they're more yeah. or less beholden to a whole group of people. But oh, they'll yeah. still go after those folks. But yeah. what you're talking about are the Elon Musks or yep. the, you know, the, the, the people who sort of transcend yep. the Like a Mark Cuban. Yeah, like a guy like a Mark, Mark Cuban. Cubans. You're a billionaire. Yeah, you want to run. They're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what happened at your office Christmas party in 98? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and most of them, 99% of those people don't have the guts that Trump would has yes. in order to do what yeah. he needed to do to. Well, it's a good point. You, know, Pete, you think about my guy like Michael Bloomberg. I wasn't a big Bloomberg fan, but he blew a half a billion dollars. He tried to run for the Democratic nomination, had a lot of policies the Democrats liked, but him being an outsider, they gutted him in like 30 seconds. Do you remember the hole he burnt in the ozone layer with all that money? Yeah. It's true. Sick. it's true. But even then, he was as interesting as a ham sandwich. So, yeah. like, why do you like Michael Bloomberg? He's rich, and yep. he he lived. He, he was able to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maximize the, the fumes of Rudy Giuliani and what he had done. But yep. he wasn't anything special. No, he didn't stand up for anything that actually mattered to people. So that's why Trump is so rare. It's because mm-hmm. he he did what most people would never do, and now if they get him. Who goes next? Yeah, no, it's going to be wild. We're talking to Pete Hegseth. Let me get into your series because I have questions, okay? So so you okay. and your pastor, Chris Durkin, okay, you guys act like legit go to the Holy Land and you're retracing the steps of Jesus during his final week on earth. My first question, okay, because I've only seen the promos, will the viewers get a glimpse of the famous Hegseth sport coat, you know, the party coat that I've seen around the channel lately? <laughs> no, because, you know, this is not a flag moment. This okay. is a uh, this this is a, you a to, biblical you, moment. Yeah, no, I get that, and I, I respect your reverence for the situation. I just wasn't sure if there's like some B-roll footage. No, I, I completely no, there's get. More, it. You, you, what viewers will see though is mm-hmm. at the very end of the third uh, episode, mm-hmm. uh, I jump off a boat in the Sea of Galilee because Chris points out that my name is Peter, which it is, and yes. that's what Peter did when mm-hmm. he saw Jesus who. Uh, who mm-hmm during the 40 days that he appeared to people was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so he asked me, well, what would you do? And I said, I'd like to think that I would do the same. So it ends with me jumping into the Sea of Galilee. Of course it does. Uh, Can we just hold on? Can we stop you and just applaud the range, folks? The last time I saw Pete Hegseth, the man who just detailed jumping into the Sea of Galilee, he was riding a mechanical bull at 3 in the morning in Nashville. (laughs) You know what it's years of Fox and Friends training of going from laughing to crying <laughs> yes. to sad to happy to up to down to slow to fast. I mean, it's, it's what we do. But that's what's we do a lot of crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. the what I really, I mean, this is this is it. This is the yeah. greatest story ever told. Yeah, and no. the concept was mm-hmm. go to that place, talk about it in the place. What happened in the Bible, and we know so much more now than we did even twenty years ago about where things happened, uh-huh. and so. You're going to, from from the triumphant entry to the southern steps to where he challenged the religious leaders for three days before his last supper. We get, you get to see the upper room where the disciples had their last supper. Wow. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. We get to see the prison where Jesus was held. 
uh, and when uh, before he went to before yeah. the uh, religious leaders and Pilate, and then the courtyard where he where they yelled for Barabbas to where he was beaten, all the way to the crucifixion. W- w- there's a new site where they believe the garden tomb actually is, which we were wow. able to go into. Uh, it's just I get chills talking about it yeah. because it makes your faith come alive, and not everybody can go to Israel and see it. And the idea was to to make that. Um, bring it to life. Make it, like, I, I really, I can't imagine. It had to be a pretty f- profound experience. I mean, are there are there moments when you're literally tracing the footsteps of Jesus? It's got to be a little overwhelming, no? It's really it's really humbling. Uh, and, you know, it, it, and Pastor Chris, it was his first time there, and mm-hmm. that was intentional. Like, I, yeah. no one knows the Bible better than him, but mm-hmm. he was seeing it all for the first time. And you see moments where, you know, he's in tears because mm-hmm. you, you're thinking about what occurred there. And, and um, yeah, it's... That's, It'll that's change you. And I've been to Israel eight or nine times, but okay. I've never done the full. Most of it was on the current religious or Israeli or yeah. uh, cultural fights that are happening on the Temple Mount and all mm-hmm. over the country. This was just Jesus, and so a lot of the sites I hadn't seen myself. And even his hometown of Capernaum, the mm-hmm. town of Jesus, yeah, um, is phenomenal. I mean, it's almost you can see Peter's house where Jesus stayed, mm-hmm. um, and that's in season one. If you watch season one of the Life of Jesus, uh-huh. part one. This is part two, just the last week, but it, it'll. Um, we're hoping it has an effect on people. No, it I mean, will. This is a time. This a lot of people are down and out. Me yes. too. Like looking at our country and our culture and our education systems and our judicial system, it's all a mess. Yep. Like if you point point to something that really matters, the source mm. uh, of our eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. Now's a good time. Well, this is the last point I would make. Then we're talking to Pete Hegseth, the new series, uh, "The Life of Jesus," Part Two. God saves us. It is on Fox Nation now is I think more than anything, what really is plaguing our society is that we're living in this age of like weapons-grade narcissism, where everybody's phone is so carefully curated to make them the center of the universe that people are missing out on the concept of belonging to something bigger than yourself, serving a purpose bigger than yourself. I mean, that's the best case you make for religion, is that you're now living with an eye on a greater good as opposed to what nefarious thing will get me 5,000 likes on Instagram five minutes from now. So for that alone, I mean, don't you think there's got to be some enduring quality to watching this? Even if they don't get the Hegseth sport coat, they get the whole profound message of belonging to a bigger thing. Yeah, I mean, the world how, the world fails us every day. Mm-hmm. I fail myself every I fail every day. If mm-hmm. I'm looking for salvation in my own identity mm-hmm. or in likes, I mean, that is the most empty existence I could possibly find. And I know when I'm ignoring God's law for my own life, I find my way into slavery and problems as opposed to when you're when you listen to what god has to say and try earnestly to follow it and draw closer to him there's purpose and meaning in that that's what it's all about we we are we are dust in in the wind on this earth as far as how long we'll be here and but not to god not to jesus in in the way that they see our worth and i I try to you know this series reminds me of it too because we live in a business all about you know makeup and cameras and viewers and mm. ratings and none of that actually matters in the grand scheme of things nope. uh so it's fun to do something like this i think it's awesome just one last thing i'll throw at you and i want you to handicap the odds of this succeeding okay supposing i go upstairs after the show to nation and i tell them i want to counter your jesus series where i trace the footsteps of a cabbie i know named jesus up in the bronx <laughs> do i because i don't have the i'm not getting the israel budget but do you think i can get the morris park budget and do one on the on my man Jesus. I mean, he's a religious figure in his own right. Do you think I get the green light? 
I know some people. You, can get <laughs> you, might, you know what? You might have a good point. I won't go any further on that, but you certainly do. I know some people. <laughs> All right. Well, when, when you get done traversing the Holy Land, I might head up the Yankee Stadium for a companion piece. Uh, I will and you keep might you... get more clicks on yours, too. So. <laughs> I doubt it. Oh, that's funny. Good stuff, Hegseth. Uh, we'll talk soon, brother. I really appreciate you. Thanks, brother. Take care. Uh, it is called The Life of Jesus Part 2. God saves us. It's actually really heavy stuff. Um, it's good escapism, but better than all of that is the healthy reminder that we're all supposed to be here, you know, serving a cause bigger than ourselves. And I know it's hard to imagine there's anything bigger than me when you see me on TV. <laughs> but I promise. I... That boy is a P-I-G-P. Fine, but I, but I promise, okay, there are bigger things out there. <laughs> Leave me alone for the eating. I swallowed a lot of aggression along with a lot of pizzas. <laughs> pizza. The host who saves a plate for everybody at his barbecue. He's a very compassionate man who cares deeply about all Americans. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. It is Fox Across America with your radio buddy Jimmy Fallis celebrating the 247th birthday of the greatest source of good the world has ever known, the shining city on the hill we call America. A shining city I am out celebrating today, so we put together this holiday best of. But if you do want to see me this week, because I won't be on the radio and I won't be on the TV other than tonight. You can see me on The Five tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will also be hosting a live 4th of July special from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on the Fox News Plaza in front of the building. But after that, you're on your own, girlfriend. But you can, of course, come out this weekend, July the 8th, I will be at the Holland Civic Center with Kennedy. And, of course, Tudor Dixon is going to be in the House as well. Former gubernatorial candidate in the great state of Michigan will be joining us. We'll be doing a Q&A. We'll be doing a meet and greet with the fans. Anytime you come to one of these shows, you laugh your butt off and you go home feeling better about your own drinking after seeing how rowdy Kennedy gets at the bar. So if you're in the area or you're not in the area, make the pilgrimage, come out to Holland, Michigan, and hang out with us, and certainly stick around for this segment coming up with Ainsley, because I'll tell you really quick before she gets on the air, uh, Ainsley is like one of the coolest people I know. Like when you do Fox and Friends, of course, there's three hosts. It's Steve Ducey, it's Brian Kilmeade, it's Ainsley Earhart. And sometimes on Fox and Friends you're doing a couch interview, which means you're talking to all three of them. Other times you're doing a chair interview, which means you're going downstairs to the first floor and you're either going to rap with Kilmeade or you're going to rap with Steve Ducey or you might even be rapping with Ainsley. But the point is it's a one-on-one -on -one interview. The thing I would tell you about Ainsley is whether you're doing an interview with her or not, she's going to come find you and talk to you. Something she saw you do on TV, some joke she heard you tell in the green room. She's just cool. She just has an environment, an atmosphere around her that makes everybody feel better for being in their company. You know how a cat finds a sunspot on the rug and is just content? It's the same way you feel about Ainsley. That's why she's on the holiday special. You listen to this, you laugh a little, she makes some substantive points, but you're happy to be there. So stick around and be there, dang it, because Ainsley Earhart joining us next on the 4th Across America Holiday Spectacular. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. My story is not a story that starts with a silver spoon. Maybe it was plastic, but it wasn't silver. Opportunity is the story of his life. 
Tim always wanted to be in a position to make his mom and his grandparents, his family, his friends proud of him. He is one of the more authentically good people. He works hard. He talks about big ideas. He's an engaging personality. Authentic, principled, loyal. Big picture kind of guy. Optimistic, forward-looking, integrity. This is personal to me. I will never back down in defense of the conservative values that make America exceptional. And that's why I'm announcing my exploratory committee for president of the United States. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. That is, of course, Tim Scott, a man who is running for president. There is a fantastic documentary streaming now on Fox Nation, hosted by a woman who a lot of people wish would run for president, but she can't because she's friends with Brian Kilmeade. That would get anybody disqualified. <laughs> but she's, of course, the co-host of Fox & Friends. Ainsley Earhart is here. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, how are you? Uh, Ainsley 2028. Can we just start floating it now or no? Are you kidding? Come on. You Ainsley. could not pay me. <laughs> you could not pay me. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I wouldn't be able to stomach it. I could not take it. No one would vote for me anyway. So oh. thank you, Jimmy, though. Well, listen, unlike me, you would at least pass the background check. I couldn't even get far. <laughs> I, I couldn't even announce. Like, I can't even be Ainsley. I couldn't be. I couldn't be president of my fantasy football league, let alone the United yes, States. Could. Man needs yes, to know his. Could. I don't know. Now you're buttering me I up. Make you more relatable. Look, we've all, <laughs> we've all done things that we're not proud of. But I'm sure you have a squeaky clean record, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm actually better. I present better than I make it sound. That's part of the hook. You know, <laughs> that's part of the hook. Um, but I want to talk about this okay. doc because I love the Tim Scott story, and I think it's a good story mm -hmm. for America. Because getting past the quality of individual that he happens to be is the fact mm -hmm. that he's running on the America we are as opposed to the America we were. Like when it comes to race, uh, the Democrats are trying to tell a story that Tim Scott has proven wrong. And that's why I think they're so threatened by him. Do you kind of get that feeling when you watch him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a really nice person. Um, I've never... Not that I'm, I'm not aware of any controversy in his life. No. And, um, you know, I've gone down there and interviewed him a lot. He's a really strong Christian. He goes to a big church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, that mm -hmm. um, has grown all over South Carolina. But it originally started there in Mount Pleasant. It's called mm -hmm. Seacoast Church, and it's mm -hmm. fabulous. He's really good friends with the pastor, Greg Surratt, and his son, Josh Surratt. And um, they have Bible studies. He was just a solid guy. He's really yeah. well-liked in the Charleston area and in the South Carolina area. He uses this phrase from, from cotton to Congress mm -hmm. because his, you know, his um, ancestors were mm -hmm. slaves. And here he is you know, running for House, then running for Senate. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he's the first African-American from South Carolina to serve both chambers. Mm -hmm. And now running for president of the United States. It's the all-American story. It's a crazy story. It's a great story. Ainsley Earhart is on the line. The new documentary is called Who is Tim Scott? I'll tell you who else Tim Scott is. Do you know he takes his 96-year-old mom to the movies on Saturdays? Like, he deserves a badge of courage for that. I couldn't do that with my mom. My mom's like 73, but she talked through the whole movie. My mom heckles a movie. Like, you know when you go, you know when you go watch like a horror movie and there's the people that are like, don't go in there. You know, my, <laughs> yeah. my mom yells at the screen. If I don't, mom. I don't know how Tim Scott's mom's movie etiquette is. I have to ask him this. Uh, he is. I imagine she. She's so. She's so nice and quiet. I imagine she is a good date to go to the movies <laughs> with. But she. Um, he bought her a house, Jimmy, and oh, wow. um, we toured the house. It was really pretty. She's very proud of it. He's proud of it, and he bought her a car, a very nice car, and. Um, 
he we walked in her living room and her bible's out and tim's reciting all these bible verses that he knows knows by heart um he's just he has a stellar reputation and i think he's a really just because he's such a nice guy it's so refreshing is he tough enough some people have questioned that is Mm -hmm. he is he able to i think he is i think that um it would be a nice just it's always nice when you have a, a strong Christian that yeah. um, you know has has a high office. We saw that with Mike Pence, mm-hmm. and um, but I mean he's he Nikki Haley placed him in his position when he became a senator. He was in the House, and she was our governor in South Carolina. I'm originally from South Carolina, yep, of course. and. Um, she appointed him to the Senate, and then he ran several times after that, and he did win, and he's, he's liked there. But what's interesting is now they're running against each other. But then she had to go to Trump to get mm-hmm. his blessing or wanted to get his blessing when she ran for president because he appointed her as ambassador. So all three of them are you know running against each other. Whether or not Nikki Haley or Tim Scott might be chosen as a vice president, you know, that's yet to be determined, obviously, because if you look at mm-hmm. some of the straw polls, if you look at the straw polls coming out of Iowa mm-hmm. right now, um, Trump's winning by more than 40 points. I think it's 42 points. He's yep. ahead. He's, he got like 62 percent. Right. And then um, mm-hmm. DeSantis got 40 percent. And then everyone else who's running in the GOP field got five percent or lower. Wow. So, so um, it's going to be yeah, a, I mean, it's going to get interesting. I mean, got, it really is. We, we got a ways to go. That's the one thing is like mm-hmm. when these debates start in August, I believe there'll be 71 candidates on stage. <laughs> it's going to be pretty I wild. Believe it. I believe it. And they're all really qualified. <laughs> they do have a good I mean, bench. Even if they don't have experience. Like yes. Vivek Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah, you know, he's a he's sharp an, he's, guy investor and former um believe me uh, i'm still he was on our show Ainsley, uh-huh. he was he was on our show we had a great interview but i'm still googling half the words he used on me he could have I'm been sure. he was so He's smart so he, he was so much smarter than me ainsley he could have been making up the words <laughs> he could and i was just playing along like a dope i'm like right. I, I guess i'll look this up i don't know <laughs> right what did he just say yeah, i remember i had to interview him for his book and i was reading his book and even just in the flat it tells you know his experience and mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What a resume! Yeah, I'm like I'm not playing Scrabble with this guy though. He's, he's uh, no, 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 no. I can't I'm check like, any why? of those words. You know, God, you gave me a lot of gifts, but why did you give me that gift? <laughs> 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 oh, let me ask you this about the documentary because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Does Tim Scott? I'm just asking this as a sports fan, just as a guy. Mm-hmm. Tim Scott mm-hmm. on the show, on our radio show, he's been on a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, over the years. Okay. And he is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And he owns that on the radio, okay? And I know Trey Gowdy's in the documentary, and him and Tim Scott are best buddies, and he likes the Cowboys, too. Uh But does Tim Scott, did they want that, like, on the cutting room floor? Do they consider him being a Cowboys fan a liability? (laughs) Well, I think they, I I think that it's okay, because it's a southern state, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, um... And I know a lot of people that love the Cowboys. It's well, yeah. a great team to pull for. America's and team. And he played football. Yeah, yes. He played football. He's a good running back, Tim Scott. No, exactly. I know. See, I'm trying to identify his weak areas for him because we always discuss oh, this. Like, I, I keep see, trying to I tell see. him he needs, like, a manageable scandal or a tattoo. Mm-hmm. We've got to put a little because <laughs> he's such a good dude. That's the thing. I know. I know. I know. So maybe it's the Cowboys or, you know, he likes Rocky movies. He says Rocky Three is the best Rocky movie. Uh, 
I love Rocky movies too. Oh, he's uh, yeah, Rocky three. Wait, was that the one that everyone loved? Is that the one yeah. where he's doing the monologue in the street to his son? Yeah. Oh no, that's the next one. So Rocky, no, love, it's a it's I a few Dan. I know the one you're talking about. That's Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Rocky three okay. is like he fights Hulk Hogan. He fights Mr. T. It's very oh, 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tim yeah, Scott, yeah, yeah. but Tim Tim Scott was working in a movie theater the summer it came out, and you know That's it right. being like you one of his first. Yeah, it was all excited. Mm-hmm. You watch it all for free, and you get the popcorn. So as far mm-hmm. as opposition research goes, that's all we have on the guy. Is he likes Rocky Three and he's a Cowboys fan? <laughs> you know, I've hung out with him a lot. I'm trying to make some money. Like I'll sell the Oppo research. I just don't have any. I'm counting on you here, nice? Ansley. Wouldn't it be nice though if there weren't any Oppo research on him? Imagine. The only thing they'll go after him for right now is maybe his his record if they didn't like the way he voted on something. Yep. That's really all they could they have on him, and yep. I don't even know if they have that. No. Um, because everywhere we went, when we were with him in Charleston, I mean, mm-hmm. Jimmy, he couldn't walk. He, he just t- would take a few steps, and someone was stopping him, shaking his hand, saying, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity uh, zones that you set up, or thanks uh-huh. for this, or thanks for helping my mom. That that would be so hard, being a politician. You don't have any peace. You just yeah. have to, you know, if you're yeah. going to go out, and that's what they want. That's what they do. They're there to represent the community. But if you, everywhere you go with him, he's recognized, noticed, someone's talking to him. Yeah, it's, it's like, he ha- has to be on. It's like hanging out with somebody from Fox and Friends. <laughs> I'm kidding. With Brian Kilmeade. You stop it. Brian. When they when they meet you guys, this is the difference, okay? I, I explain this to people all the time because only in the last year of my life, I, I legitimately get stopped everywhere I go. In Home Depot, I met the whole Home Depot over the weekend. But my yeah. superpower is that I'm such a regular guy that they feel like they already know me. So, like, when if you were in a Home Depot, Ainsley, like, people would weep, they would faint, they'd have you sign their That's children, it would be a big deal. Yes, it, yes, it is. Okay, if I was in Home Depot, they're literally like, hey, do me a favor, can you grab the other end of this bench? And now I'm just, like, working for them. I'm, like, working on their project. That's the person you want to be. Yes, that is who you want to be. Where do you get stopped the most? What uh, state? Uh, oh, well, well, what, what I'm amazed at is, is how much more prevalent it is in New York now. Now. Like at the Yankee game, I was really? at a Yankee game with my son. I probably uh-huh. took like 30 pictures. It was pretty cool to Seriously? be in a Yankee game. Yeah, because usually the only okay. time I get recognized at the Yankee game is when they're telling the beer guy not to serve me. They're like, hey, you see that guy yeah. over there? No more for him, you know. But uh, no, right. this was different. Right. But yeah, in the obviously in the South, Fox is huge. And when you go out mm-hmm. to the West Coast, like I was just in Boise, and they were just the mm-hmm. greatest people ever. But I'll tell you a funny story that happened to me. I was halfway between Bend, Oregon and Boise, and I went into a gas station. That was showing a read the Saturday night replay of Gutfeld, and it was mm-hmm. on the show that I had hosted the night before. So she was oh, watching cool. me on TV yeah. when I walked in and was like so blown away, but so was I. I was like, hey, this is awkward for me too, lady. Right, like, I don't know right. what to do here. But we became best friends, and I feel bad about the shoplifting now, but uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Come on. Is it, isn't it strange, though? I'm yes. like, God, you were so good. I wanted mm-hmm. this so badly when I was a child to be in New York and to be in, on television in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. and he allowed that to happen. And when you see yourself, I still... I still pinch myself when I walk into Fox and think, I can't believe this is, I mean, we all have our crazy stories. You are a cab driver. Yep. Um, Nuts. And I love watching you perform because I'll watch you. Like Mm -hmm. I asked you one day, how do you, how do you put, how do you, I I, I can't, you can explain it obviously a lot better than I can. When you're trying to come up with your jokes, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you form a joke based on 
you know, the, the small narrative that you know about someone. Well, a lot of it has to do with just being in the moment and like really uh-huh. listening to what somebody said. Like, did they give mm-hmm. you an opening for something to make fun of? Did they mm-hmm. give you a fact that you know, you happen to know jokes about? It's really more about being a listener than a talker, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, obviously, just the drugs. Uh, I kid. I'm stop it, Ainsley. You stop it right now. This is this is, is true. your wife funny. Yeah, Jenny Phil is actually hilarious. She grew up on a she grew up on a farm, and her family is funny. Like her brothers are funny. Her dad is funny, and uh-huh. um, they do. They have a good sense of humor. But they did that country thing, Ainsley. When I went to meet my my wife, uh, her family for the first time, the dad totally pulled out the shotgun. He did yes. that. Yeah, he did. My he... dad's done that. <laughs> yeah, he, he was always conveniently cleaning his guns when the guys would come over to pick me up for a date or whatever. Not even, I mean, these were like high school friends, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, 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 now I'm, you know, now I'm married 16 years. He actually puts it away because he doesn't want me to shoot myself. He's like, right, I know what you're going right. through. I kid. Right. I kid. <laughs> Ainsley, we're excited for this documentary. Everybody gets to hang Thank out with you. you and Tim Scott. It's a guy, it's a well, cool. It's funny. It, yeah, really quickly, I know uh-huh. you've got to go. But go Brian Kilmeade normally does these. He does oh, the yeah. who is, mm-hmm. you know, Ron DeSantis, who yeah. is Donald Trump. And so they asked me to do who is Tim Scott. So I, I joked with Brian. I said, are you jealous? I get it. Who oh. is someone? So, yeah, next time you see Brian, you'll have to say, look, they, you obviously were not doing a good job. They gave the last <laughs> one. <to Ainsley." laughs> I love that you're starting turf wars. Are you putting out a cookbook like Ducey next? I love this. No, are you, no one would buy it. <laughs> I am the worst cook. Are you, are you, I, I, oh, I burn the bread. I mean, I'm not a good cook at all. I try, but I'm just not great. Yeah, and Like when you cook, the people pray after they eat? I'm sure. I'm oh, sure during it, before, during, and after. Yeah, yeah. I, right. I can do sweet. I can bake. Okay. But I, are you a good cook? I, I like. I can get. I can make like four or five legit things. Okay, that's okay. all you need. You need like a resume. It's short. It doesn't. I, you don't need to make like a thousand things. Like someone who's truly that's gifted true. at cooking can make anything, and they're my good mom. at adapting mm-hmm. resume. Of course, and that's what I come from. My mom's a great cook. My wife's a great cook. Um, mm-hmm. But to my credit, I make three or four things that make people believe I'm like a Michelin chef because right. I've just cooked them enough and know how to cook them well. Like what? Uh, all right, it's a couple things, okay? Now that we're going to get into okay. this. <laughs> On a okay. very basic level, I make a tater tot quiche that my whole audience knows about, where you take tater tots and you make them the crust of a quiche, which is pretty easy. Bag of tater tots mm-hmm. in a cast iron pan, throw some eggs, bacon, and cheese on top of that and crisp it to the moon. You got a tater yeah. tot quiche. People think you're like a next level chef. It's like three ingredients, Ainsley. Uh, I can make a steak. Sounds yeah, no, there are some things I can make, okay? But the point is, we'll put out our spin-off, cook- spin-off cookbook when we're ready. I don't think we should totally. divulge all the ingredients. Now, we got to move some product here, girlfriend. So let's well, stay. Well, I, stay- I can do a mean chicken divan because I have my mom's recipe. It takes a little while, but it's fairly easy. It's just, you know, steaming the broccoli, mm-hmm. throwing in a few cans of cream of whatever oh, soups. Yeah. and um, chicken and cooking the chicken and then pulling the chicken, but it's really good. And then you take the chicken stock and you cook your rice in it. So oh, it wow. tastes like Love uh, it. delicious. My mom's recipe. Well, we're looking forward to your next Fox Nation series. Who is Emeril Lagasse? Now that you're exploring uh, yeah. chefs. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, you're the well, coolest. Thank you so much, yep. Jimmy. Thanks for promoting it. It's on Fox Nation if anyone wants to watch it. We got this. I'll see you in the studio. Okay. Take care, Ainsley. You're the Good best. Deal. Thank you. You too. My Bye-bye. Friend. There she goes. The legendary Ainsley Earhart. The series, if you watch Who is Tim Scott?
Okay, and Kilmeade moderated the other ones, the Trump ones, the DeSantis ones. They're great. They're all fantastic. But uh, the Tim Scott is the reason it's particularly worth a watch, and I've, they're all really well done, is because if you understand what his story would mean to this country, you find yourself rooting for the guy. You know, I tell you every day I get on the air, I don't care who wins, who loses. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But I can tell you as someone who processes politics through the lens of sports. Like if America is a team, Tim Scott is a good guy to make the face of the franchise. It's good. It's advertiser friendly. The fans like him. But more importantly, it corrects the record on what they've been selling us for the last decade in this country. That we're oppressive and nobody has a chance to get ahead. Tim Scott is the living proof. This is a guy who started this run in the Deep South when it was still the Deep South and has become the first African American elected to both houses of Congress. Tim Scott is proof that we're not a racist society. But that's the problem is the Democrats keep giving America the bill in 2023 for what it was doing in 1823. But Tim Scott exposes that for the fraud that it is. Democrats just call everyone racist so they go along with their stupid ideas. The show you can always count on to do the job. A three-letter word. Jobs. J-O-B-S. Jobs. Happy Fourth of July from Fox Across America. How about the great Ainsley Earhart? Nobody I enjoy hanging with more. She's always super complimentary. But again, I'm paying her for that, so it doesn't matter as much to me as it might to you. But regardless, uh, force multipliers of positive energy, like our pal Ainsley, is what we need more of in this world. And joining us in the next hour, a man who has become one of the ultimate force multipliers in my life, a guy I grew up watching in the movies in films like Pee-wee's Big Adventure and The Naked Gun and Teen Wolf, is going to join us right here on the show to tell us how he's been tracking my career. Fascinating stuff. Hold on to your hats. Mark Holton in the house. When we come back right here on this fourth Across America celebration of the greatest country in the world, the only country where stuff like this is even possible. From everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Here we go, here we go, hour number two. On the 4th Across America Holiday Spectacular, we are, of course, toasting and celebrating the greatest country in the world. And in this hour, we're going to be joined by two of my all-time favorites. One, the most notorious bicycle thief in the history of the world. I'm talking about Mark Holton, the man who played Francis in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But we're also going to talk to Saturday Night Live alumni Rob Schneider who has a fantastic new stand-up special out on Fox Nation called Woke Up in America. Schneider stopped by for a grown-up talk about all things comedy, about social media, the outrage mob, and everything in between. The point is, watch his special. And if you still want to laugh this weekend, come see me in Holland, Michigan, where I'll be appearing at the Holland Civic Center with Kennedy and Tudor Dixon. Of course, now is not about me. It's about another comedian named Rob Schneider, and he joins us now. He's a reformed man whore. Yes. Which you can't even be. You'd have to be a them whore. Would, yes. De- would Deuce Bigelow be a them whore? Yeah, I, I, uh, a they whore. A they whore. <laughs> the lovely and talented. I, I, I did say he, man. 
Uh, I did uh, He Man. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I got a He Man right there. He Man whore or was Ro- it something like a. The, the point I was trying to make. He Rob, bitch man whore. Rob Schneider in the house. Dan- there it is. The crowd goes wild. They're excited. Dan, that was from Dan Graney and Matt Selman. That's very funny. Well, Those we guys have a, are right for the Simpsons. The we, real geniuses. Yeah, geniuses. OGs. Thanks for coming in, man. Um, Thank you. The Look at this. It's so fun. Your your desk. The desk looks like the inside of a van that promised you candy. Oh. That, but doesn't it does a lot of toys in here. <laughs> no, I always admired people like when I worked somewhere and they, they made their office, even though they were so temporary, like a TV show to, yeah. or their dressing room, they always decorated it nice. And I was like, I never did that. No, but you And I admired that. that. Like, look at you. You put curtains up. So, some people function because they need like a hominess. Yeah, but that's good. They're just those are people that actually have lives. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was the one who's like, I didn't. You know, <laughs> I remember one time I was doing a movie in Europe and like, I go, why don't they want to work Saturday? We we'll uh-huh. just get it over with. It's just work, you know. And then I saw a guy who was in Amsterdam, and I see somebody, a guy who was like, he was always looked tan. He was like the set decorator, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. putting the stuff on the set, decorating it, you know. He always looked tan and big blonde, you know, brown blonde hair and everything. Then I saw him. I'm leaving my my little pad there and i'm getting on my bicycle because you have to because it's amsterdam <laughs> and then i see this guy coming down on this antique boat mm-hmm. on the canal with these two beautiful little kids and his wife with some champagne and cheese giving it to him while he's driving this beautiful boat with his shirt off and his and i'm like well this guy has a life that's why he doesn't work saturday i'm the idiot who doesn't have a life <laughs> this guy's on a boat with cheese he sounds like a he's kid. like a romance model like a romance know, novel guy Is this fabio so, uh, yeah, he did kind of have a Fabio, a, thick, a thicker Fabio, but I just took my kids. I just basically did that. I tried my version of that. Uh, I took my kids to Italy. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Italy's a home run, by the way. Oh, I, yeah, no, you can't screw that up. I, well, you know what I you did? Can. You, you can. You can. <laughs> if you got it hostile. I went to... Uh... I went to Rome, dude. I, I walked. You know, you walk everywhere in Rome. It's really yeah. wild. Like, it blows your mind because things are 2,000 years old, 5,000 years old. You know, if you old. have someone that's 50, year old, 50 years old in New York, it's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's, you, it's like a national monument if it makes it 50 years. There, it's, it's you know, you see stuff that's literally 2,000 years old. Yeah, it kind of blows your mind. You're walking down the street in a piece of pizza, and they're like, ah, oh, there's a Trevi fountain. It's, uh, you know, they yeah. founded it in, like, you know. And it used to be part of a Roman, you know, it was like this underneath pizza place it was pretty the roman walls still exist the roads that's how they screwed up i didn't realize the romans they built such good roads uh-huh. that the other that you know made it easy for the other guys to get in take to attack them <laughs> so they we're said like, we're building roads for these guys to come and kill us the turks were looting the Colosseum because they had easy pass a lot of people don't know that they, you're right and the, they were the barbarians the these Germans, supposedly barbarians, you know, they, they don't have any written records. We don't know how barbaric they were, but according to the Romans, they were barbarians, you know? Somebody's got to look into this. Rob Schneider's in the studio. His yeah. new stand-up special. It's streaming on Fox Nation. It's called Woke Up in America. Yeah. Uh, if people are watching, the, there's a lot of highlights on the channel. They, you're, you're all over the channel right now. You it's know nice. I mean? uh, they're, they're promoting it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> First of all, they, it's amazing that they let me say what I wanted to say. Yeah, that's great. That's a it? miracle. Well, are you not? It's a miracle. Are you not on some level taken back by the actual lack of oversight here. Because there's no oversight. I'm on the air for three hours a day. No one ever says a word to me. It's great. I, I'm just grateful that there's any disorganization because yeah. that's when good things can happen. Yep. Like, I like that in politics. Mm-hmm. I like when a government has no confidence. <laughs> like the Carter administration. Yeah, yeah. 
We're like, what's, you know, if it's too, look what's happening. Biden is way too confident, this administration, mm-hmm. and it's being destructive. No, you're right. It's executive order. S- starting just- wars and stuff. At least you can say what you want about the Trump administration, but they were so under besieged that they didn't start any wars. No, they didn't you know? have time. They were. They didn't have time. That's what I want. But I do say, like, whatever's happening at Fox, like, you know, I can just tell the cars don't know where to go to pick me up, you know. <laughs> but it's good because then you could have a chance to, to get some interesting material on here. Can I, can I tell you a funny story? Ben's limos. They got Ben's. The, some of the people who pick us up at Fox, <laughs> they're great, right? Yeah. I once, I used to be a cab driver when I was younger. Good for I, you. You I, see, you know what real, real, real you. life is like. Thank you. But I once uh, took over for a driver. It was UN week. And, you know, when all the diplomats are in town and, you know, they're just parking wherever they want and the roads are closed, you can't get to the embassy because all the hookers are being dropped off. Exactly. So a guy was so over. The good old days. Thank you. (laughs) America. The 90s. America. The gay gay 20s. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. So we we made a deal that I told the guy, like, hey, you're getting a little emotionally overwhelmed here. How about you? You know, jump in the back. I'll reprise my role and drove the guy home and got him home and still tipped him and was a gentleman about it. Yeah, that's that's too much. <laughs> you think I went too far? I think so. I don't you, think so you think I don't that. tip him? Do you think I just, just drive him. him home and give him a talking to? I don't. I, you know, that was very nice of you. But uh, <laughs> do you discuss? I, I, did you do, do you, that so you could tell a story about it later? That's no, my question. I, no, not at all. No. I actually, I actually, I was, was in, the worst employee. Okay. I, I'm just like I, I drove. Uh-huh. I delivered flowers like in high school. I was like okay. a junior in high school. I remember my friends were playing softball. I was like, oh, my buddies are over there. I pulled over and played softball for a couple hours all the plants all the flowers in the truck died <laughs> i got fired i was such an a-hole and then you know it's your hometown so like yeah. the guy the guy at the flower shop knew my dad he's i don't know i'm gonna have to tell marv but i gotta let you go oh that's you rough. can't you can't kill all the flowers i mean that's the, that's our job deliver flowers while they're alive he went into comedy because 1-800 flowers canceled them <laughs> this is before that that even happened that's they didn't how they, have one eight hundred. Well, that's that's why they got. They off did the, have one eight hundred right around about the same time. They had to go national because the local guys were getting all the flowers killed. That's yeah, what happened. Yeah, they were yeah, all exactly. playing softball. Uh, what are the things I saw in the highlight that Uh-oh. I loved? Was that just you describing yourself as a traditional liberal and saying that would make you a right wing fascist? I agree. I mean, it's true. Uh, well, no, I love the point so much. This is, but I wanted to add to it. You know, like when Obama ran for president on mm-hmm. Yes We Can, like if he did that right now, they would be telling him to check his half white privilege, would they not? I would, I would hope so, but there's a difference though. Like, cause mm-hmm. I'm, my mother's Filipino, but I don't get to be called, you know, mm-hmm. Filipino, Filipino American. I don't get that, you know. <laughs> you just get Rob. I just get Rob, you know. So, <laughs> and I'm Rob Schneider, not Rob Takamura. You know, I don't get any. Yeah, yeah. I don't get any of the Asian benefits. You don't get you know? any hyphen benefits. I don't get nothing. I get, you know, the only benefit I get from being half Asian is a, a small wiener, and all my eyebrows fell out. That's all I get. <laughs> Can I say wiener on the radio? Anyway, say if nobody it's cares. It's, it's fine. It's, we're on the we're on the radio side of this. They it's don't on the radio side. Yeah, they don't scrutinize. You can get away more with radio. Can't you? Do whatever you, you want. The radio. You think you can? But then I said something yesterday on some Fox thing uh-huh. about Garth Brooks, and the next thing I know, it's in like Newsweek. You know? Oh, you know, they jumped in. Everything is like a, like a, everybody's just digging for like yeah. whatever little click they can get. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing now. We have a lot of, like, they're like snipers, almost like cultural arsonists. It is. It's a cycle, though, yeah. James, if I may say. No, like, I was not. trying to think about what this, how idiotic this is. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it, the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, uh-huh. you had, like, by, like, by 1900 and 1910, you had 18 daily newspapers uh-huh. in Manhattan alone. Think about that. 18. That was because that was what was the entertainment, you know? Mm-hmm. It was clickbait. Yep. Back then, mm-hmm. whatever the headline you had on there, and it's the, whatever is going to help sell newspapers. Yep. You know, it's before radio, before TV, before film, uh-huh. you know? Yep. You basically had, what did you have then? You had church, 
Maybe you had some plays <laughs> on Broadway, but the, yet most people couldn't do that. You know, most no. people couldn't read. Eighty percent of Americans are farmers, but they would grab that and read that. Get whatever in the heck that was. No, that's a great point. Rob Schneider is here, and I'm I'm taking him into hey you get off my get you kids get off my lawn mode. Yeah, exactly. You're getting me riled up. You know, you're getting your fifties. I'm getting riled up. When I, I used to like when I was just, I don't ever want to be a guy in my fifties going yeah back in the day <laughs> these kids don't realize and here I am you know. Here he is on it's, Fox Nation. It's woke I, up in America, and it's a it's a phenomenal hour of back in my day. The kids get right off the lawn. They'll get off. They, actually, they'll want to stay on your lawn. I don't think yeah. the kids are going to want to leave your lawn after they this. They can't. They can't. That's aggression. That's a, <laughs> It's a micro it's, grass aggression. It's triggering. It's not nice. It's it's unfair to the grass people. I love. I this. know you got, but uh, I don't know. I I will say that like um, most people, I don't think are fall into the category where they get sucked into this. It's just, mm -mm. It just makes news and yeah. it gives us something to talk oh, about. Oh, you know but what I think happens I don't real? think it's in everybody's life, but it is no. out there. No. There are crazy things happening. But but every every one of these, like, moments that happen in uh -huh. the media, we're like, all right, we're going to ruin this guy. Yeah. That usually starts because, like, three people with a combined eight followers decided they were mad. I know. And then a lazy journalist got a story out of it, and that created a news cycle. And sometimes it blows up and you get I fired. Know, but I remember Jay Leno telling me, like, in the 90s, mm -hmm. late 90s, like, hey, listen, you know, everybody thinks they got it worth. You know, everybody thinks, you know, like Tom Cruise, nobody gets it worth than me. <laughs> everybody gets their own share, you know. And it goes around, everybody gets the equal amount. You know, it's true. You know what the thing is? It's true. Oh, I love this. We're talking about that's, a, that's so good. He says, we're, good all, we're all replaceable. You know, the, the Jay Leno person goes up here and also goes down. Um, <laughs> but, but Jay was a very, very kind, nice man who would just give you advice. Like, you got to figure out a way to get along with everybody. You know, you got to figure out a way. Like, we're all replaceable. You know, you don't think they get another Tom Cruise? They get another Tom Cruise next week. You know, they get another Jay Leno? They get another Jay Leno in an hour. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm replaceable. Uh, I'm dying. Tom Cruise, though, he might have been wrong on that one. Tom Cruise is, he's on to like Mission Impossible 12, by the way. Well, he hit, he hit it hard. Well, nobody yeah. works harder than him. Yeah. Now, you give him him credit and Adam for that. Sandler, the hardest working people in show business. I'll get into him, but let me ask you this. Do you, yes. think it's, do you think it's false advertising to call it Mission Impossible 8 if they've pulled it off the first seven times? You, you're thinking way too into it. Is, is that, am I overanalyzing this? No, it's, it's like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I just people those. It's hard to do those stunts. Yeah, my friend of mine, Greg Smurs, who's okay. a great stunt coordinator, mm -hmm. worked with me in a couple of movies when I was doing those, you know, little actiony things in my comedies. He was the guy. You know, when Tom Cruise is on the side of a, a side of an airplane, they're taking off, and it's really Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's a there's a wire to him mm -hmm. that's attached to a guy, and they paint it out. Well, the guy on the other end, a lot of the times in those movies, was Greg Smurs, and he's just like. Even he said, I can't take the tension anymore. It's just too much. That's crazy. It's just too much because, like, Tom will do it, and he's a great athlete. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's one of the things, like, Smurz told me, he said, uh, this guy could have been a professional stuntman, which is saying that he could have been, like, a professional athlete. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to beat him. And that's how talented he is as a, as a motorcycle rider, car you know, car driver as a, as a, as a physical specimen. He he's just OG. unique in the history of show business. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but it's, it's too much stress, you know? That's a lot of action, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's a lot of action. It For is, and he loves it, and he's great at it. And it's yeah. fun to watch. Yeah, he gets a kick out of it. He's jumping out of buildings. Look at that. I mean, he, bring, he brought movies back with the... Uh... No, listen. Top Gun saved cinema. No one was going to a multiplex. Yeah. If you're going... For real, if you were going to the box office And you want to see a movie like that. Yeah, you're either going it's to loud. see... loud. You're either going to see Mar uh, Marvel, like a superhero... Or yeah. Tom Cruise. You either need a cape or a Scientologist. Or I know. No it's just a shame. It's a shame. That's why, you know, <laughs> my little movie, Daddy Daughter Trip, I'm, mm -hmm. it's going to be 
hopefully released. Um, we're trying to figure that out now, but it's like I'm trying to get the overspill from whatever Tom Cruise movie comes out next. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm happy with that. I think I think you just need to retitle it Top Gun 3. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Star Wars 9. It's tough because you would think, you know, but it's it's just tough to get. It's a big deal to get people out of their homes and get a babysitter. It's a responsibility. It's a lot. To, yeah, and then they got to they gotta go, go to a particular sp- specific time. They got to eat crappy popcorn, and the, <laughs> the seats are sticky. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. But they You're show, asking a lot. No, you are. But they'll show up. They go watch you do stand-up. You're selling out all over the country. Well, the stand-up's a little different because I do think that, like, you know, it's like Jerry Seinfeld said, uh, you know, in, 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 in 1984, I said, no, 1975, there were 40 comedians, and eight of them were good. In 1985, there were 4,000 comedians, and eight of them were good. I will say now, you have, there's never, there's always been great comedians, but there's yeah. never been so many great comedians at their peak at this time. You, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco. He's really good. Yeah. You know, Bill Burr, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Rock. Uh, Dave Chappelle. You can see these guys, you know, Joe Rogan. You can see these guys now, and you get they make sense of the world for you. Yep. That's what people want to do, and that's what hopefully, you know, for people who want to see my comedy special on Fox Nation, streaming now. Hey, girl. Just, you know, I hope that it, they get a good laugh. They don't like it. I hope so. Yeah. No, no, we laughed. I actually laughed. I was excited to have you on to talk about it. It's, oh, thank it's, you. it's exciting. It's exciting to like something. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and it's, it's to good. be surprised and shocked or grossed out. You know, it's great. It's just it's fun to be in that position. And and uh, I will say that like of all the art forms right now, I, I think the most daring and the most exciting at their best is the stand-up comedy. Yep. It's like folk singing was in the '60s. Yeah, no, that's funny, but this, it's true in, in a way. And I think what's happening. Now, I think it's true, not in a way. It's, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I'll give I you that. I didn't need in the way. All right, James. Dylan, way to go. I didn't need that. Put your put your acoustic guitar away. We're going electric here for a minute. I did but, think. Yeah, I, I do think that's a real thing yep. where you, people can get a, a real good show. And, and people can kind of make sense of, of what's kind of happening. Go, oh, all right, I'm not crazy. Look at this guy. He, well, that's what it is. He I, thinks the way I do. I think everybody's life has been corporatized. And I think the, the, what comedy represents is a form of escapism now. It's what, one of the few places in society where you can go kind of let go. I think so. It's a place where you can uh, definitely um, reorganize your perception about things. And it's very subversive comedy. So I can yeah. hopefully, if I do it well, if you watch the whole show, Mm-hmm. I, I think I can hopefully subvert people to my point of view, which is just for jokes, mm-hmm. but it's a calmer place yeah. of looking at things and just also just making fun of how crazy some of it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, some of it's crazy. No, the world's know? on fire. That's what I say. And comedians are just roasting marshmallows. I, yeah, I don't That's... know when, like, math turned right wing. <laughs> how did <laughs> math get, like, we're what, about, we're what, f- did, what did the two say? I was, you know? We were 40 seconds out uh, from a commercial break without me fearing my job or getting canceled. But now that you're going to pull this white supremacist math out. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Who the hell booked this guy? I realized exactly. I, was, I think you, you forgot to put your hood on before you walked in here, Schneider. I know. Can you imagine if you were in the KKK <laughs> and, like, your your biggest dream ever would be, like, you know, how can we bring segregation back? I know. We'll say it's for their own safety. They gotta gra- <laughs> they got to graduate separately, you know? No, they won't. No, it'll never happen. They crushed feminism. Feminism is now happen. about replacing women with men. It's it, crazy. It, 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 it is happening as we speak. Schneider, they're about to kill both our mics. Are this we? is an honor, sir. Oh, uh, this, God bless you. The special is Woke Up in America. It is streaming on Fox Nation. We'll always, it is. We'll, I miss you already, pal. Well, thanks. thank you. Thanks it was a pleasure. By. Thank you for having me and all your toys, <laughs> in the middle of your toys. <laughs> take one from the shelf. Go. Take care. Back after this. Preparing you for the barbecue. I think I'll put on my cute little sunglasses. Happy 4th of July from Fox Across America.
It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon, and we are now about to embark on a real sleepless in Seattle scenario where our next guest is someone I grew up watching in the movies. He was in The Naked Gun. He was in Teen Wolf. He was, of course, the bicycle thief in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And he was somebody I was a huge admirer of who came to reach out to me on social media after seeing me talk about Pee-wee's Big Adventure on The Five. I was sitting in for Gutfeld one day in that far-left seat. I will be there tonight hosting The Five's Fourth Across America Spectacular. You will see me on The Five tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But on one of those moments where I was subbing in for Gutfeld, I got a message from the great Mark Holton, who thanked Kennedy and I for shouting out Pee-wee's Big Adventure during the special. And uh, we kind of became fast friends. And we went from talking on social media to texting. But we had never actually spoken on the phone, nor had we met in person, until Mark Holton came on the show for the very first time uh, of our friendship. And this is that moment, that sleepless in Seattle, where we didn't quite meet at the top of the Empire State Building. We had the slightly less glamorous meeting in a radio studio. But nonetheless, this was a true career and life highlight for me. So stick around and be there, dang it, the great Mark Holton. Joining us next. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And if you listen to the show on the regular, you know that I'm trying to call as much attention as I can to our nation's crime crisis. And joining me now uh, in an attempt to fly on into the storm is probably the most notorious bicycle thief in the history of this country. I am talking about Francis Buxton from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. The great Mark Holton is on Fox Across America. Hey, man. Hey, they never proved a damn thing on me, brother. <laughs> the Buxtons are not thieves, Pee Wee. No, we are not. <laughs> all right, all right, Mark Holden. Let's just jump right in and say this. You need to know this, and I had messaged you uh, privately about this. Okay, here at Fox News, I wasn't kidding when I said this, okay? Between the talent you see on TV, the producers that make these shows go round, and the actual executives that employ us, we speak in Pee Wee's Big Adventure shorthand, I would say, like 60% of our workday. <laughs> I'm I'm not even kidding. Let me give you an example just so you can roll with me, okay? Every time every time on this show someone mentions Andrew Cuomo, okay, our governor here in New York who kind of went away, I frequently refer to him, just listen to me as Hansy Andy Cuomo. Andy! Andy! And then you hear Pee-wee talking about Andy. Some <laughs> sometimes when we're challenging a fact that we don't like out of the administration, you'll hear us say, You can't just make up lies about people. The point is, we're always quoting Pee-wee in some capacity. And you, I, I just you need to know this. You have there is a reverence for you specifically as the comedic actor that you are here that you probably didn't even know existed. Okay. And that that's I, I wanted you to have that, Holton, from us to you. I just I wanted you to know that you are greatly appreciated. This is friendly fire. But my question for you as a notorious bicycle thief and a guy who's in my all time favorite movie as well, The Naked Gun, is do oh. you do you like the direction uh, comedy is going in right now or, or are there things you would change? I think it's turning around. Mm. <clears throat> I really do. I think it's turning around. I think people are are coming to his senses and saying, you know, enough of this woke baloney. Yep. I've had it. Mm -hmm. You know, funny is funny. This is not, I don't want to be lectured to. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very, very small percentage of the country yes. that's actually, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, ca causing all the trouble for everybody else. But, yep. It's kind of, you know, that's, that's just, mm -hmm. that's just me. So, no, I do. I think it's like a tyranny of the minority where there was a moment there 
where the people getting upset oh, yeah. had power because we didn't understand how many num what kind of numbers they had. You know what I mean? But you realize, yeah, yeah human nature is we just want to have a good time. I mean, and, 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 I, and I think now that we've kind of stood behind the magician of the woke mafia and seen where the rabbit's going and how they do the card trick, I think we oh. are kind of trending back into the right direction. Because the, the next question I was going to ask you is I think Pee Wee was safe in any era, but the naked gun... Uh, that that had a lot of creative license <laughs> with topical jokes at the time. There was a little, there was a little controversy in there. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the idea of like Reggie Jackson killing the Queen and you recognizing Enrico Palazzo uh, was that the most fun film you worked on? You know what? I was there for a half a day in the stadium. Oh, that's funny, Dodger Stadium. Mm -hmm. Uh, they they brought in uh, the extras and and dressed it up and I knew the storyline and um, I was uh, you know pretty much in and out they were really quick oh that's funny so I mean it was but a bing but a boom but a bang I don't even think I I was invited to the uh, the screening stop it I was walking no I'm serious I was like walking down Sunset or something going to an audition and some guy pulls up to the curb next to me mm -hmm. rolls his window down and goes. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. You were bad, man. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell just happened? You know? <clears throat> oh, okay. Uh, naked gun. How did he know that? Oh. So it was, it was just like right out of the blue. That is, and uh, and it's just, it's just ballooned over the decades. Oh, it's you know the, the Enrico Palazzo thing, and and how how cool is that? It's it's you a, know? it's amazing. Uh, we're talking to the great Mark Holton. Uh, Hollywood royalty, Fox News royalty as well here behind the scenes. Um, I did not oh, know. I was, I was just down in Bricktown. I didn't realize you were born in Oklahoma City, but I was just at the Bricktown Comedy Club. Well, I'll be damned. Will, I wish uh, I'd known that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, would, you, I, would you actually show up and would you come to a show the next time I'm in town? Because we'll certainly leave oh, you tickets. Oh, hell yes. Oh, Holton. This yeah, is if deal. you come to Bricktown Comedy, I'll be there in a heartbeat, man. I'll, if, if you come to Tulsa to do KRMG. Whoa! 25 minutes away from your from your studio. Holton, you know too much. I didn't realize you had this kind of intel. This is crazy talk. Well, that means a lot to well, me. Well, I, I live, believe it or not, uh, in a small town just south of Tulsa. Oh, get out of here. So I I can I can uh, I can be wherever you are in this state anytime anywhere man. Oh wow! And uh, I've got a uh, you're a cigar smoker, right? Yes, I am. Okay, I got a little uh, cigar lounge to take you to. Oh man! We can uh, we fire one up and uh, you know throw up our feet in some big uh, overstuffed leather chairs if you would like that. Holden, this is amazing. I feel like I should be paying three ninety nine a minute for this kind of dirty talk. This is great. <laughs> This oh is man, you know I I can't thank you enough. You have you have really made my year. Oh, uh, buddy, you're a great guy. I mean, I I had uh, uh, and I I just I I, I feel uh, you know blessed beyond measure. I really do, mm -hmm. and I know you feel that way about your life too. Oh, and I, um, it's yeah. uh, you know the more the more I listen to you, and and not just your funny side, Jimmy, mm -hmm. but but. But what you really think and feel or whatever, the other day you were talking about uh, <clears throat> holding your son for the first time mm -hmm. and uh, what was going through your mind and wondering how could anyone, anyone not be protective of this, you know, being. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I flashed immediately on my child, mm -hmm. my first son, <clears throat> and uh, his, you know, little hand gripping your little finger and yeah. 
And I know, okay, that's a good, strong boy. He's going to be okay. And uh, and then talking to him and him opening his eyes. Yeah. And uh, and looking me in the eye because he knew my voice because that, I had talked to him a lot. <laughs> yeah, oh, that is so crazy. I mean, the two things that really jumped out at me at the most, you're right, is Lincoln squeezing my finger and then, of course, Maury Povich saying it was my baby. That was always that. Oh, that also got me as well. We're talking to oh Mark Holton. I'm kidding, man. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. We're talking to Mark Holton. That's so funny. Um, let me ask you a quick question because I appreciate that. You know, you getting me and what I'm trying to do. You know, I spent so much time as a cab driver listening to talk radio, and I was harboring this suspicion that there were millions of guys like you and me out there. Like people who just got the joke that most of what this is, especially when it comes to politics and issues, is we, you know, we kind of put ourselves in political boxes. But the truth is there's such a human element to all of this. And if you just prioritize these basic shared human experiences, there's still a way to make progress in this country. It just doesn't get clicks. Progress doesn't make get the clicks that sensationalism does. But if you actually right. care about a greater good, I mean, the things we're talking about, probably the way forward. So should you and I run for office or are you going to fail the background check like me? Oh, I, I would I would fail immediately. Uh, <laughs> my family would say, "What in the hell did you just pack into that last cigar, Mark?" <laughs> oh, hold on. No. Oh, no, that's I, 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 I wouldn't even think about politics. Why would you put yourself through that? No, you know, I mean, you're you're younger than me. You know, you were ten years old uh, the year that I uh, graduated from high school. Uh-huh. So, you know, you should be calling me Uncle Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Mark Holton's on the phone. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, yeah, do you, sure. uh, are you, are you still chummy? Do you talk to Paul Rubens once in a while? Uh, we, uh, especially, you know, during Christmas, you mm-hmm. know, he sends us a Christmas card. I'll send one back. Sometimes a, a little gift here and there. Oh, that's uh, awesome. He, he called this last, uh, my birthday last uh, July. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he uh, he sent a video, and it went on forever. And it just, <laughs> you know, it was like all the years uh, melted uh, between us. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the last time I actually saw Paul was right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. He was doing the national uh, tour mm-hmm. at these beautiful, gorgeous old theaters. Mm-hmm. And he happened to be in Dallas, and I said, I'd like to come down there. He said, come on down, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my wife and I went in there and sat uh, very, you know, nonchalantly quiet, incognito. And damn it if he didn't spotlight me. <laughs> so when he was backstage with security, I was getting mobbed. I didn't mind it a damn bit. I loved it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had this big guy come up to me and uh, – Throw his arms around me and say, "Can I have a, can I have a hug?" <laughs> and I said, "Sure." And uh, this guy's got like shocks of gray in his hair, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, "You were part of my childhood." Oh wow! Um, and his voice was quavering. Oh man! And it just, it was like, <clears throat> okay, I, I get it. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I don't need to be so damn hard on myself. <laughs> anymore. No way, and man. And that's when I started doing conventions. 
<laughs> well, the listeners need to know the way. One of the reasons this came about is you were watching Fox someday and Kennedy one day, and Kennedy and I were on the five, and we were talking about your film. And yeah. one of the things, Mark, that I didn't get to share with you about that experience is one time here at Fox, one of the best laughs we've ever had is Geraldo was on with us. And it was Kennedy and I were on with Geraldo. And the question was, if you could have one prop from any movie, what would it be? Kennedy said she wanted the bicycle from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So I made a joke, which was, well, you're out of luck because it's at the Alamo in the basement. At which point, Geraldo chimes in. He goes, Alamo in San Antonio? And I go, yo, Geraldo, how many Alamos do you know? <laughs> I've, I've, ne I've never heard somebody yell out in Texas, remember the Alamo, and somebody yell back, which one? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm having to, uh, to bite my lip. <laughs> oh, yeah, you go easy. You go easy on Geraldo. We'll rough him up when we see him oh, on yeah, TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me ask yeah, you this. You know, go, go ahead. Oh, you make oh, your yeah. point. Go ahead. No, I was just going to tell you, I, I have a, a friend in San Antonio that writes uh, for a paper, and he, he had to do a story on the Alamo, and they now they actually have two basements for storage, <laughs> but they're just, like, packed full of crap. Yeah, yeah. You know, when he did the story anyway, that was, a, that was a, the, the story. Anyway. But anyway, just an FYI. <laughs> Adobe. That's unbelievable. We're talking to Mark Holton. Um, I, I I have so many laughs. Uh, let me ask you a quick Team Wolf question, too. Um, sure. Because work, working on that film, I just recently showed that to Lincoln Fela. And uh, you, of course, hit an epic shot at the end. I don't mean to spoil it for people. You, you hit an epic shot at the end of the game. Uh, was Michael J. Fox cool to work with? Very cool. Very cool to work with. I was on the, the court with him back and forth for 12 to 18 hours a day. It was just nuts. Wow. And he would he would leave at the end of the day uh, towards the end uh, and was starting on um, uh, Back to the Future. Oh wow! So yeah, he was he was a, he was a cool guy. I, I enjoyed every minute I spent with Mike. Uh -huh. Did you, uh, as a result of that time period in the '80s, you're in Hollywood, you know Michael J. Fox? Did you spend a considerable amount of time of your youth driving around in a DeLorean? Uh, no, uh, never, uh, never. Uh, caught the eye. I, I'm probably more likely to see the DeLorean now at the convention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have, uh, I, I mean this, this is a big deal. Like, we're going to get off the phone. I'm going to send this to executives that think this is the greatest thing in the world. You have no idea. <laughs> you have a call. You're like a legend. You're 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 a bigger deal around Fox News than like Reagan. You're the, you're the Reagan of Reagan the, the porn actress, Reagan Fox. I didn't oh, mean okay, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. kidding. Well, you're right there. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'd actually call B on the porn actress more than the president if I were you. Uh, listen. Okay, well, sure. Francis Buxton, uh, Mark Holton, this, I, I do mean this was a career highlight. Let's please do it again soon. Yeah, well, I, I would just like to say God bless uh, Mrs. Shimenti <laughs> for uh, putting you on this road with your, your little football helmet. And uh, I wish I had one of my little football helmets that uh, were an, an incarnation before those that had a pencil sharpener in them, and you could pop the pencil sharpener out and stick it on the head of your G.I. Joe. Oh, my God, I remember that. Oh, this is, you're, really, you're taking me back now. All right, I'm going to get emotional. Just go. You're the best, Mark. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thanks, Bye -bye. brother. There he goes.
the legendary Mark Holton that you have to know if you know anything about me. Pee-wee's Big Adventure and The Naked Gun are probably the two most seminal films in my existence. And the idea that I had an opportunity to interview a guy uh, from either of those films, let alone both of them, I do mean it. You just shared a career highlight with me. That was hilarious. <laughs> The show you can always count on to do the job. A three-letter word. Jobs. J-O-B-S. Jobs. Happy Fourth of July from Fox Across America. There it is. There it is. Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. We are celebrating the United States of America. It's July 4th. And it is technically fourth across America if you've been listening to the show today. Of course, if you want to see me in person... You do have options this summer. Uh, July the 8th, I will be at the Holland Civic Center in Holland, Michigan. That's a wild one right there on Lake Michigan. Gorgeous town. Way too classy for me. Uh, July the 29th, I will be in St. Mary's, Ohio, hometown of Jenny Fela. That's more my speed. Natty light drinkers, people without sleeves on their shirts. That's my crowd. Uh, you can see that July the 29th at the Grand Opera House in St. Mary's, Ohio. Of course, August the 25th, we're heading out to Vegas with Kennedy, and you will see me at the Green Valley Ranch if you're into such things. September the 16th, I am going to be appearing at the Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center in Sugarloaf, New York. And lastly, October the 28th, if you're a KID listener out in Idaho Falls, I am coming to your town, girlfriend. I will be at the Colonial Theater on October the 28th. But right now I am here with you getting ready to deliver a one-hour special when we come back on the politics of comedy right here in the good old U.S. of A. This is a Fox News Audio Network special. Fox Across America's 4th of July special, The Politics of Comedy, with your host, Jimmy Fallon. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fox Across America July 4th celebration. We are, of course, talking today about the politics of comedy with your radio buddy, Jimmy Fallon, as thankful as anyone you know for his unique American privilege. Folks, if you listen to my show day in and day out, you know the 247th birthday of America is a big deal to me. Not just because our country's now the same age as our president, but because I grew up in one of those places where we were thankful. We were absolutely, positively teeming with gratitude for the fact that we had hit the lottery by virtue of the fact that we were born in this country. I grew up in the 80s. We cherished freedom. We understood what it meant. I was, of course, surrounded in Levittown, New York, by nothing but veterans who fought for our freedoms, Levittown being the first settlement, first suburb in a lot of ways, and it was built for American GIs returning home from World War II, the greatest generation of the guys that, you know, threw me out of their backyards when I got too rowdy in the pool or you know, umpired my wiffle ball games or, yeah, smacked me in the head if I got a little mouthy after a can of beer. That's what I grew up around, and for that reason, I've always had great reverence for the country. The other thing I've always had good reverence for is comedy, okay? I grew up in a very jokey house where people love to tell all the time. I remember the first joke my grandmother ever told me. Hey, did you think about the flasher who was thinking about retiring? He decided to stick it out for another year. 
<laughs> but it was funny to me. I was like a five-year-old kid. I thought it was interesting. Uh, and I grew up around a really jokey family. They always told, talked a lot of smack. My uncle Sonny was a legendary joke teller. We, of course, are from a Polish family. So his favorite Polish joke, which we, of course, told about ourselves growing up. Uh, did you hear about the Polish family that froze to death at the drive-in movies? They went to see Closed for the Winter. <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. But that was the joy of comedy. It didn't need to be taken seriously because it was stupid. It was a permission slip to escape the regular torments of everyday life. You didn't have to be all worked up looking for something to get offended by. You looked at comedy the way you looked at items at a buffet. If you see a joke you like, you throw it on the tray. If you don't like a particular joke, you keep on walking. There's no reason to get in a fight with the chef. Everybody gets their own tray. Move on. That's the way comedy always was. What happened when social media hit America and what really did upend the politics of comedy is we started to take jokes outside of what you would consider to be a safe space, meaning a comedy club where people had bought two drinks and shaken hands on the premise that none of us were here to get offended by anything. We were here because we were tired of being beaten down by life, tired of being offended or at least acting offended about things. We just wanted to be in a free speech zone where anything went, okay? That's what comedy clubs represented. And traditionally, we never had problems in them. Yeah, you'd get a bachelorette party crying or throwing up on each other. Uh, you know, occasional drunk guy gets rowdy and heckles. Great, that's part of the gig. We get it, okay? But until social media started taking contextualized comedy performances out of the club and putting them onto the, onto the Internet, we didn't have problems as comics. We didn't have an outrage mob. We didn't have this thing of incentivized outrage. And what I mean by that is when you look at the people who freak out over a guy, say like a guy like Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle tells a guy, I hate him. How dare he? Let's have a walk out at Netflix. That's what they tell you, you know. And the point is, We've incentivized people to behave that way because in a lot of ways, outrage is now rewarded, okay? Social media oftentimes rewards the person who gets offended, who leads the witch hunt, because they get a lot of likes. They get a lot of digital dopamine, okay, by going out there and attempting to destroy a comic they themselves don't know personally, don't know anything about, don't know their relationship to the subject they happen to be making fun of. They just know they want to ruin somebody. And I'd be honest, if you remove yourself from this situation, if you extract yourself to a 20,000-foot view level, who do you think the bad guy really is? Is it the comic telling that one offensive joke? A joke. Not a hate crime, not a speech, let's go out and get him, but a joke. Who do you think the bad guy really is in history? The guy telling the joke or the guy trying to ruin the career of the guy just for telling a joke. Screw you, screw your family, screw your income, screw your bills. I was offended for eight-tenths of a second. You shouldn't work ever again. Let's be honest. The bad guy here is not the comedian. Correct the mundo. Okay, but it continued because social media rewarded that type of behavior. But what ultimately came to be is once we had a few iterations through social media, meaning we'd been a part of it for a few moments in our lives, we came to realize after a few years that the people on social media were the same people off social media. Bingo. And what I mean by that is in your life, prior to Facebook, prior to Twitter, okay, you were never going out of your way 
to hang out with the guy who got upset about everything. Okay, you were certainly not going out of your way to hang out with the guy who pretended to get upset about everything. But the reason the outrage mob had power in the beginning of social media in a way that I don't really think they do now is because it was such a new concept, getting out of bed and just wanting to ruin some human being none of us knew anything about, that a lot of people went along for the reward. They'll get likes. They'll feel popular. Okay, And then there was a good degree of people who went along with it just because they didn't want to get in the wrong way of the stampede. They didn't want to be beaten down to nothing because they dared stand up for the controversial thing. Okay, So what ultimately happened is the outrage mob, cancel culture, got a real foothold and scared not only civilians, not only pistol-whipped them into compliance through the social pressure of not wanting to offend the outrage mob, but they terrified a lot of big-name comedians. A lot of guys you'd hear like Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock be like, I'm not doing a college anymore. It's just too much trouble. And they weren't wrong, okay? But the reason they took that position ultimately to the detriment of other comics is because Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock didn't need colleges to make their living. But upcoming comedians did, okay? Younger comedians trying to hold their act together, you know, one gig at a time. Guys with seven roommates, you know, working six side jobs when they're not emceeing at the Chuckle Hut in Des Moines, okay, really counted on the income that came from colleges. But what ultimately happened is by ceding the college territory to the outrage mob, the big-name comics in this country, Steve Harvey did this too, basically just agreed to the terms of the mob. They said, hey, we're not going to come here and do anything goes comedy anymore. Hey, we're going to observe your boundaries. We're not going to go into these spaces that were traditionally free-thinking atmospheres. I mean, you, when you really go back to the annals of comedy, one of the biggest, most seminal stand-up specials ever recorded in this country was called George Carlin on Campus. Carlin on Campus. And the premise was he had to do a show on campus because it was the only place you could be so risque. It was the only place you could be such a free-thinker. Okay, if they had that special today, it would be the complete opposite. If they build it as, oh, this guy's coming in. He's a free thinker. He's going to challenge liberal orthodoxy. He's going to challenge climate orthodoxy. He's going to challenge biology and bring that up to the people pushing all this gender ideology on us. George Carlin on campus would have been called Campus on Fire. Okay, they would have burnt it down because colleges are the absolute opposite now of an institution that would teach people how to think, they've now become institutions that teach people what to think. And the issue there is that it's ruined comedy and it's ruined one of the big pegs that allows up and coming comics to make their living and develop their full hour act. As you go to a college, nondescript, off the beaten path, do an hour of material, get a little bit better for your time, and then drive seven and a half hours to get home, okay? And eat some more cat food with your pet. But the truth is, nowadays, you drive all the way out to that gig, get yelled at for not taking an electric car. Then you'd get on stage, and the minute you started laughing, they'd tell you to check your privilege. There's bad things going on in the world. How dare you laugh? Who booked a comedian? It's so insensitive. Don't you know what today's the anniversary of? I'm telling you, it's an exhausting time to be alive. What we're going to explore over the course of this hour is the fact that the screw is starting to turn a little bit on outrage culture. Yes, people are still out there. People are still hunting down things to be offended by. But the reality is most Americans have outgrown this cycle. Why? Because, to be honest, we don't want to be angry at our core. We're calibrated to seek out fun. It's one of the reasons comedy clubs thrive on the level that they do is people want to go have a good time. 
Okay, so that's number one. But number two, I think there's enough difficulty in everyday life now that we realize it was a luxury to pretend jokes were a problem. It was an absolute luxury to pretend that speech was violence. I'm telling you, as a former New York City cab driver, I've never been punched in the side of the head and said, wow, thank God that wasn't a joke because that would have been real violence. Luckily, I just got punched in the side of the head or stabbed in the arm with a screwdriver because heaven forbid they told a joke, I would have had a problem on my hands. The point is, I'm here to offer you an hour of perspective. I'm here to offer you some time with one of my favorite comics in the world, not to mention one of my most recent monologues, hosting the Greg Gutfeld Show, the number one late night show in all of America. I have filled in and guest hosted for our lovable comedy dwarf, Greg Gutfeld. And yes, as you'd imagine, normally when you fill in for the king of late night, you got big shoes to fill. Luckily, in Greg's case, they're only a size four, so I did it pretty well. Check that monologue out when we come back after this, right here on the big, bad, one and only Fox Across America, July 4th celebration and the politics of comedy with your radio buddy, Jimmy Fallon. The show you can always count on to do the job. A three-letter word, jobs, J-O-B-S, jobs. Happy 4th of July from Fox Across America. We are, of course, going in on the politics of comedy. I am Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America radio host, former New York City cab driver, and a regular guest host for Greg Gutfeld, the number one, the number one, I'll say that in English, late night comedy show here in America. Uh, I've chosen this particular monologue just to show you how comedy, okay, doesn't need to be about anything but being funny. Yeah, you might take a political position from time to time, but that's never the goal. The goal is for everybody in the room to receive the information you've presented them with and walk away with a laugh to show for their investment of time. These statements aren't endorsements of particular behaviors, nor are they condemnations of any type of lifestyle or behavior. They are an opportunity for the people listening to laugh at the world we share. So without further ado, here is me, and if you want some real, you know, real perspective, here is me in a shiny gold jacket is what I was wearing, because when you guest host a late night show, my motto is drive it like you stole it, and here I am doing exactly that, sitting in for the king of late night, Greg Gutfeld. Jimmy. Jimmy. Hey, everybody. I am Jimmy Fallon. I am in for Greg Gutfeld, and I'd just like to say before we start, if you do like my jacket, it also comes in men's. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me watching at home, I am a former New York City cab driver, and the truth is I'm actually lucky to be alive because the driving in this town is psychotic. New York is the only city in the world where you signal after you've already made it into the next lane. <laughs> Anywhere else in America, if you want to go left, you put on your blinker like, hey, I'm going left, but if you do that here, they block you. <laughs> so instead you have to go left, then you put on your blinker like, ha ha, I made it. <laughs> But the other thing you need to know about me is I grew up in an era where late night comedy was something the whole country could share. That's what life was in the 1980s. Every regular person could share late night and every celebrity could share Madonna. Um, <laughs> if you didn't laugh at that, it's because it burns when you pee, but stick with me. <laughs> so tonight what I'm gonna try to do is I'm gonna try to unite the country with some basic truths I think we should all be able to agree on. And I know not all of you are gonna love it, but you need to remember these are just jokes. If you don't like something I say, you don't have to get angry and hold up the show. Uh, you can email me afterwards at kissmyass.com. Um, <laughs> because this is the thing, nobody cares. Jokes aren't hate crimes. And we even learned that when Kathy Griffin showed us that horrible plastic face. And afterwards, she held up Trump's head afterwards. <laughs> 
Folks, the point is, comedy is supposed to be treated like a buffet. If you see a joke you like, you throw it on your tray. If you don't like the joke, you don't stop the line and argue with the chef like, oh, no, you didn't, you know what I mean? You move on to the next item, we all get our own tray. Because the truth is, it's not just comics. Everybody in the world is having a hard time with speech police. One of my best friends just moved over to London, and he was telling me the other day, you can't even call a wussy a wussy over there. You have to call them Prince Harry. <laughs> and of course, I bring up the royals. Why? Because they're a rare point of unity in our country. The truth is, whether you're black, white, Asian, Muslim, Latino, deep down, we all want the same thing, which is for Meghan Markle to shut the <laughs> up. <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy. But think about it. We're living in an America where 70% of the country is living paycheck to paycheck. Nobody wants to hear about the difficulties of being a princess, you tone-deaf idiot. So here's what I would say, Megster. If you're going to keep talking, at least make it interesting and do a true crime podcast about how you stole Prince Harry's balls. <laughs> and I'm just being honest with her, and I'm being honest with you, because nobody else will. Big tech censors the truth all the time. The White House hides everything. They said they'd be the most transparent administration in history, but please. Joe Biden thinks transparent is a man who has a baby. <laughs> Everybody in D.C., they just lie. They tell you student loan forgiveness is a thing, but the loans aren't forgiven. They're just passing the bill on to other people. And to be clear, I'm not even worried about paying for college, because my son is six foot five. He's getting a women's basketball scholarship. <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, you guys are saving up for school. I'm saving up for a backboard and probably a little duct tape. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry, Link Man. But here is the deal. We're going soft in this country. Can't even beat your kids anymore. So they don't have to respect us. And I'm not telling you I want to beat my kid, but the fact that my kid knows I can't beat him is a problem. You dig? You ever get so mad at your kid, you wonder if you could survive in prison? <laughs> like, if I get through a month, I could smack this little bastard right here in Target. <laughs> and the whole concept that is so foreign to me, because I'm Italian, which means not only did I get beat as a kid, but my parents used weapons, okay? <laughs> Every Italian kid got beat with either a belt or a spoon. That's how it went down. And that wasn't the messed up part. The messed up part was you had to go get it for them. <laughs> Do you know how traumatic it is to go get an inanimate object that you know is going to destroy your life? It's the closest thing to buying an engagement ring, I can explain to you. <laughs> My wife and I are actually married 16 years this year. 16 years. Oh, you guys. We're actually in an awkward spot, because the last three times we went to the grocery store, we ran into my high school girlfriend. Weird. Yeah, but it's going to change, because she's going to graduate. But, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing, and I'm telling you this because I care. If someone invented a time machine, the best thing you could do for society would be to put today's kids in it and dial 1982. You know that? Kid would come walking out in someone's living room all sassy, complaining about everything. A VCR? I'm not watching a VCR, mommy. It takes all day. I am not watching. Some parent would just throw a shoe across the living room. Shut up, you know? Do you, is this like a, a symposium for abused kids? I'm sorry if that one hit home a little bit. <laughs> but do you remember when George Bush was your president? He was over in Iraq. Someone threw a shoe at him and he dodged it. That's because he got beat as a kid. <laughs> That's what I learned in that moment. Barbara Bush was a shoe thrower back in the day. <laughs> 20 years from now, someone throws a shoe at the president, he's getting smoked because he won't know how to dodge it, you understand? <laughs> Except they won't throw a shoe, they'll throw a Snickers bar and he'll die of a peanut allergy.
The point I'm trying to make is tough times call for tough measures. And if we're going to turn this country around, we need to dish out some tough love. And I know it sounds risky in an age of incentivized outrage, but I'm still all about it. Because the truth is, it takes balls for a man to get ahead in 2023. And if we're being honest, it takes balls for a woman, too. It's the best of Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And joining me to blow out the candles and continue this discussion about the politics of comedy, a fan favorite not only on this show, but on his own show over on The Blaze called Normal World, Diamond Dave Landau is in the house. Hey, girl. Hey, baby. How are you? Happy birthday, America. Can we just get that part out of the way? I think we can. Happy last birthday. <laughs> I was just going to say that between, like, America was aging well, but between the ages of, like, 245 and 247, you know how people sometimes take a turn and you haven't seen them in, like, three weeks? You go over, there's food hanging out of their mouth, and they're not talking coherently anymore? But enough yeah, about the America. president. Yeah, but enough about yeah, the president. <laughs> yeah, in Canada, they call that uh, legally put to death. <laughs> We'd be, if America was a country, we'd be euthanized. But we'll be back. We're going to find a serum, and I do believe, as you do as well as a guy who works in comedy, that we actually possess the greatest coping mechanism in society. You know, people can talk to you about substances and everything in between, uh, and we've certainly both tried our fair share of them. But the truth is there is no greater form of coping, you know, and it's how a lot of people grieve the adversities of everyday life than laughing. I mean, isn't that the greatest argument against censoring comedy? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, the idea that it, it is being censored, the fact that any language in this country is being censored is bad enough, but the idea of censoring comedy, the only thing that allows you to not even mock or ridicule, but just uh, like alleviate any kind of ridiculousness, like really what it comes down to for a comic is just to point out logic in the illogical, and that's all our country has become at this point, where you just go... Is that real? Wait, is this real? Like, is this, that, that's not real. And then you're like, oh, it's worse than I thought it was. That's our entire existence. And without comedy, I don't think we would be able to even, to vent in any way how we feel. We no, would all just be drunk. No, it's a it's a great point. It's such a dumb time to be alive. People always come up to you now as a comic, like, oh, you must be having a field day with all of this. And I'm like, it's actually kind of the opposite because there are so many absurdities that the shelf life of any joke you write now is like an hour and a half before something weirder happens. Right. You know? Yeah, if you're reporting or doing a bit on anything. And then the thing, the it never goes away either because of the internet. Yeah. So the weirdness gets to stay, even though it's somehow irrelevant, people can still go back and be offended by it. <laughs> It's so it's bananas. But what's crazier then, okay, is the fact that a lot of times uh, people get madder at the comic for telling a joke about something controversial than they do at the person who did the controversial thing. I can tell you in the beginning, if you remember this, me and you, when I first had you on the radio, were bagging on Prince Andrew. Because he had yes. a history on Epstein Island. And we got a couple yes. of phone calls to some of our stations. And I was like, yo, the fact that people are more concerned with the comics making fun of Prince Andrew than the actual guy going to Epstein Island with the underage kids is how the problems don't get solved, you understand. You're fighting the yeah, wrong like, battle. <laughs> no, it's 100% true. Yeah. Where you're like, listen, I know the guy looks exactly like what you think he would look like. 
and uh, is clearly guilty. But if you could just not make fun of it, we'd really appreciate it. I don't want to hear about it. It's you make you make a joke about Epstein Island. I made a joke about the um, trans swimmer, mm-hmm. uh, who and this guy stands up in the middle of the show and he goes, "This is the most transphobic show I've ever been to." We're in Seattle and the crowd's filled with gay people. And the whole room's looking at him because the joke was about if I were to compete as a woman, it would make no difference whatsoever. <laughs> like, after one lap, I'd just be coughing up a lung and the announcers would be like, I'm not sure when this fat girl joined the race, but I think she has emphysema. <laughs> and this guy stands up to make a scene. He's pulling out his camera to catch me, but my response is, you do get that I'm making fun of me, right? And the whole crowd is just looking at the guy like what are you like, what are you mad about? He didn't say anything about saying he he would make a bad trans athlete. And then the guy storms out and then says, Hey, I think I overreacted. Could I come back in? Oh my god. And the bouncer's like, No, you can't come back in. And I think that's the problem with with this, this society now is that guy came to a comedy show mm-hmm. to get a video of him being offended and make it go viral. Yep. To make me look like a monster. And then he just picked the wrong time and was like Oh, you're right. I didn't think about it. I was just waiting for a, a trigger word. That is so funny. We're talking to Dave Landau. It is the Fox Across America Politics of Comedy special. But it's such a good point that people now, because they're so consumed in this era of language policing, they've been incentivized to just destroy the people on the wrong side of language. But in doing so, you're creating a culture that's devoid of empathy. Because for you to be on stage at a comedy club, you know, everyone listening at home, I know, you know, might think comedy's cool, and it is. And it's the greatest job in the world. We're very fortunate to have it. Uh, but we yes. didn't we didn't wind up with this job because someone handed it to us. We were paid in, a lot of us, in drink tickets until people recognized that us drinking was a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah now they, now they limit it to one drink ticket instead of many for your pay. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, a lot of the road work you get as a comic is because uh, you have a car and you have the ability to pick up a far more difficult headliner who is no longer allowed to drive for whatever reason. And you've earned your hazard pay that way by driving Biff from back to the future, back and forth to the airport while he threatens yes. your life. OK. Yes. But, but the yeah, or, yeah. Or you just pick up a random cowboy who's wearing it. Two separate tethers for different reasons. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is great. This is so I understand that you you do a lasso in your act. Yeah, this is great. Can't you, wait to can't you, wait to watch you. You're opening for a guy who closes on beating a baby seal, but the seal couldn't make it. So you're you're now just on a stage in a water tank getting hit with a baton. And uh the point we're trying to make is any for every guy you see making a living in comedy, actually making a living, okay. Uh, for every one guy on stage you see doing that, there are, I, would you say, five million people off stage that have, have tried to and failed? Oh, easily. I know several people. I mean, it's just not for everybody. But it's the same as if I went to medical school. Yeah. After three days, they'd be like, you killed everyone. <laughs> and it's just not my, it, it, you know, it's, it's a, it is a difficult thing. And navigating it now is difficult especially in the age of where they just want to cancel you. And it's not a me too thing. It's not necessarily anything to do with a, a virtual virtuous, sorry, virtuous or like righteous thing. It's mm-hmm. just 
you said the wrong name to describe a person. <laughs> you gotta, you've got to go forever. You who've been killing yourself to make a living for 22 years, uh, you need to die instantly. Your life needs to be destroyed. Your family needs to suffer because one word was not appreciated by Table 38. And, like, when you th boil it down to that, Everyone listening should understand where your empathy and consideration should lie. Like, who's the bad guy? The guy trying to offer you an escape from the torments of everyday life or the guy trying to literally end that man's existence because he didn't like one word? There's no world where history records those guys as the winners because if that is the case, we wouldn't have a world. Absolutely. Really, if you look at, at a comedy club as a microcosm of, the, of society now, you have the one table with the comment cards, which, by the way, if you own a club and you give them comment cards, just stop. But anyway, <laughs> so you got one table with a comment card that fills it out that didn't have a good time. Meanwhile, everybody else did. Now you're in trouble because, like you said, table 38 is yeah. upset. But everybody else just didn't comment because they enjoyed themselves and just didn't really want to say anything about it. Yep. But then they focus on table 38 and they're like, well, what can we do to make it up to them? Maybe if we give them tickets to more comedy shows <laughs> and comp their bill and make it seem like they're right. And that's what's happened in the society. We've taken the smallest percentage of people and allowed their complaints to change entire laws, entire, you know, yeah. uh, normalcy of society and the way that you're supposed to what conduct yourself. I mean... I say yes, sir, no, ma'am, just because that's how I was raised, and I guess I'm a monster. <laughs> you know the worst thing about language is for real? Uh, because you're right to say that is, yeah, obviously, number one, people are putting too much emphasis on the meaning of words and the power of words. But it's even yes. when things that are just drilled into your head on a casual level, like growing up, do you remember Budweiser commercials that are like, this Bud's for you? Uh, of course. Well, obviously, we had such a blowout meltdown over Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney that I literally have titled probably in my life when someone did something nice, I have probably titled a thousand emails, this Bud's for you, when I was writing somebody like a thank you. And like, <laughs> like, like the first week in June, I wrote somebody a thank you at a station that hosted one of my events. And I was like, this Bud's for you. And I got back the nastiest email. Like, what are you trying to say? Am I like dealing my transition now? And I was like, no, I hate we, this. We just dropped you. I don't drink that stuff. I'm embarrassed. I'm emb it's, it's alcohol. I mean, basically, it, it, it's just you drink enough of it and you might wake up next to that. <laughs> You might become Dylan Mulvaney under the right set of circumstances. That's how beer works. Do you understand? And it especially is. in the eighties when we had, you had like Spuds McKenzie and you're going like, okay, so this dog has sex with hot women. That's fine. <laughs> this whole bestiality take. We're like, that's the coolest dog ever. Of course, it, dogs only live till 11. Yeah. But, you know, still that's fine. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, we had Camel Joe. Like that was yeah. like, tell me that's not geared towards kids. It's like, look at this cool camel in the leather jacket smoking a cigarette. <laughs> we let that go. I mean, it, it's it's just unbelievable the way that marketing has shifted. Because before it was like, listen, uh, we don't want kids to drink, but we do want them to eventually. So let's make sure uh, that we have some cool ca uh, cartoons on the cover of our, you know, so, of our liquor, of our uh, cases of beer. Mm -hmm. It's just it's an entirely different time where 
we just look for something to be outraged about. And for some reason, the people that are marketing it want to do it. They're yes. like, oh, this should have said a bunch of people. <laughs> well, that's that's what it is. They're trying to change your tastes. Like Bud Light did that. They knew, okay, that the people drinking Bud Light weren't a fan of Dylan Mulvaney. But they're trying to start the ball rolling into changing perceptions. Like, you know, mad men used to market to perceptions. And I always say now we have mad them. You know, the marketing firms are <laughs> Don Draper is Dawn Draper. And they want to change your perception now instead of catering to it. That's why, like, Miller Lite had that dopey campaign. If you remember, they had the campaign where they were bla they, they were trashing chicks in bikinis. They were like, women helped invent yes. beer. And what did we get? Bikini ads. Yo, if you're hot enough to put on a bikini and sell a product, I think that's to be celebrated. I don't think that's demeaning. No, but it worked. Yeah. It worked, let's see, for how long? From the time beer was a first a commercial until three years ago. Yep. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Every time you saw it, you were like, it was, okay, let's look at uh, Cindy Crawford. Yeah. You know, like, you see her drink a Diet Coke, you're like, I don't know why I want Diet Coke. I'm only 12, <laughs> but it's something that I just really feel should be a but, part of my but, life But now. if anybody needs me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go think about it in the bathroom. For an hour yeah, and a half. I'm gonna go, <laughs> can I get this case of Diet Coke and some Kleenex? Uh, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be back in a little bit, you guys. The point is, when we talk about the politics of comedy, comedy has become controversial because we got into the habit of placating people nobody likes. We're placating the wrong people in society because they don't have actual real perspective. They don't have genuine empathy, okay? Nor do they have any actual interest Interest in protecting the people they care they pretend to be getting offended on behalf of you know what I mean it's like for everybody crying no. about oppression here we go back to the guy at the beginning of this interview who said you did the most transphobic show in the world I'm gonna be honest with you okay there's a comedy club in Iran that's probably doing a more transphobic show it's <laughs> yeah. coming out of your mouth <laughs> and that's what's the funniest mind it's like also have you ever seen a drag queen do yeah. stand-up yeah it's the filthiest most racist thing you will ever, ever watch ever and it's like yeah it's insane oh. how far off uh from pc it is no that's why i find it so amazing when they try to like lump that into it and you're, yeah. you're like i don't know if you've ever seen a drag queen do stand up but you might want to back off on uh, the PC thing because it's going to be jokes that I won't even touch. The th things we wouldn't re things we wouldn't repeat if we were celebrating our twentieth anniversary as prison bunkmates. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know that we've reached that level of candor yet. It's only year twenty of this bid. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know you felt that strongly about it. I mean, is that how you feel? It's sad how we're marketing to we're marketing to no one to a please nothing. Yep. It's so, or to please nothing. That's what I, I don't get. The point you're trying to make is defund the joke police. Everybody who cares about language and everything in between, they're helping nobody. They're not even helping themselves. For Pete's sake, the guy who tried to go viral on you asked back into the show. Doesn't that teach us all a lesson? Yeah, he's like, I was really enjoying it, actually, and then I I just had to have my moment. And it's like, well, you can't go back in now. <laughs> but it, it was funny to watch a table of other gay people look at him just going, I think you're missing the point of this joke. <laughs> <laughs> he, what he's trying to say is he's fat and out of shape oh. and couldn't compete as a woman even in his prime, oh. and you're upset. <laughs> Dave Landau. <laughs>
<laughs> it's so funny. Just perspective, guys. That's that's all we're asking for. And if there really was a lesson, though, from this conversation, it's stay in school, kids. Don't follow your dreams. You don't know. No. no. <laughs> the dreams are stupid. <laughs> Save them for a night. Listen, me and you are here. We're making it. We've got our own shows. We're touring the country. But I don't know. I don't know that if I was to speak to the 20 years of torment I was subjected to to get here, I don't know that I'd, like, advise my kid to go through this just the same. Would you? Not at all. I, if I had a time machine, I'd probably just invest in Bitcoin for that <laughs> two years at work. You, you know what? You know what I would do? I would go back to that police job I turned down 24 years ago because I'd be retired by now. Right. Uh, the, the guy when they, when they I, called me for the NYPD, I was like, I don't need this job. I'm making seventy three hundred dollars a year as a comic. I don't need benefits and a pension. Screw you. Yo. Why would I want that? I have a car that hardly works and breaks down on my way to 400-mile-away hey, hey. gigs. Why would I want your health care when I have WebMD on the public <laughs> computer in La Quinta? Uh, yeah, I got some great insurance. It's called crippling debt. I'm just fine. <laughs> Happy birthday, America. Diamond Dave, you're the best. I'll see you out on the road. Thank you, sir. Preparing you for the barbecue. I think I'll put on my cute little sunglasses. Happy 4th of July from Fox Across America. What did we just spend an hour discussing? People getting upset about jokes. Folks, do you think when you look around the world in countries where they're peeing on each other for heat, they're saying to themselves, yeah, this isn't any fun, but more importantly... There were some comics who told the joke. I didn't really like the language. Let's focus on that. Do you think where the wars are raging on the other side of Eastern Europe, anybody's concerned with what's happening in comedy clubs? No. Okay? And that's the point I'm trying to make is on this birthday for America and every day that you live in America, you should be reminded that you have American privilege. It is better to be you here than it would to be you anywhere else on the planet of Earth, which is why I always say uh, defund the joke police, but more so today than any day because our founding fathers didn't kick England's ass up and down the coast because they wanted you to start firing comedians. They wanted hot freedom, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and you have it today and every day because you live in the greatest country in the world. So happy birthday, America. If anybody needs me, I'll be in front of the grill. That's going to do it for the politics of comedy with Fox Across America and your main man, Jimmy Fallon. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.